piece of scripture, then we'll let you sit down. Thank you for standing. Job chapter 14, verse number 1. If you found it, say amen. Job chapter 14, verse number 1. Here's what the Bible says. Man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, I came to hear something a little more encouraging than that this morning. Well, permit me just to use it as a backdrop today, as a foundational text, a starting point, if you will. Man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. I want to take a few moments today. I want to preach on this thought, times of trouble times of trouble. We're going to pray one more time quickly, and I'm going to let you be seated. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, now I'm asking you to breathe, breathe on this word today, God, that you've laid on my heart for this week for these people. God, I'm asking you to help me to be clear and concise in my communication today. Help me to be articulate, Lord, as I announce and proclaim the good news that this book contains. Father, I ask this morning that you will hide me behind the cross, and I pray that you will put a guard on my mouth and let me say only what you want me to say. I pray the word will pierce. I pray it will penetrate today, God, the hearts and lives of everyone that it's meant for this morning. And when we gather in these altars in the next few moments, I believe that you're going to do something today powerful and profound and life-changing. I love you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Pastor Tony, thank you today. As I thumbed through some different versions of the Bible this week, I was interested and curious as to how this particular verse of Scripture read in other versions of the Bible. One version read like this, we're all adrift in the same boat, too few days and too many troubles. Another version of the Bible said this, how frail man is, how few his days, and how full of trouble. That word trouble there literally means fear or noise or rage or commotion or the crash of thunder. It gives us a picture of some troubling, stormy, scary, and difficult times. And every single one of us in this auditorium this morning, we can probably attest to the fact that we have experienced or we presently are experiencing what I call times of trouble. You know, when the doctor calls and he says, the MRI doesn't look very good, I'm concerned, we'll need you to come back in for another test. Times of trouble. When you've done everything that you know to do to salvage the relationship, but in spite of your best efforts, the marriage 
crumbles. You find yourself in times of trouble. You, you know what I'm talking about. When the boss calls you in and says, I'm sorry, we're going to have to terminate you. We can't offer you any severance pay. I know you've been here a really long time, but we're making cutbacks and we can't afford your position anymore. And they push a pink slip across the desk and you find yourself in times of trouble. You know those times when you have more bills than you do money. And you're not sure if it's going to work out. You know those times when you have a son or a daughter or a family member that you know is headed down a path that is going to lead straight to destruction. But in spite of your prayers and your pleadings and your promptings, they forge ahead and make choices that cost them greatly. Times of trouble. Times of trouble when life just doesn't seem to make sense. And when we find ourselves in those kinds of places, we ask these questions, God, where are you and why is this happening? And we search for answers we search for some sort of understanding. We, we try to fit the, the puzzle pieces of life together to make sense of what has unfolded and transpired in our lives. And we search the scriptures and we reach out to our prayer partners and we talk to our family. But even in the midst of all of that, we can't seem to come to any kind of grips with why is this happening and God where are you in all of this and if there's anybody in scripture or in the world that understood something about times of trouble this man by the name of Job understood trouble you you do realize that when you read the scripture the way that it's laid out for us Genesis through Revelation that is not a chronological layout of the Scripture. They tell us that Job is quite possibly one of the oldest books of the Bible and that the events that transpired in Job's life happened somewhere between Genesis and Exodus. Now, there are some ways that you can read the Bible chronologically, and it's very interesting. Now, I'm not debating or even suggesting everything in this book is not true because it is true. But if you read it chronologically, it doesn't, it doesn't work its way from Genesis to Revelation like we see it laid out because there are some events and some books in the Bible and some things that happened that happened in, in a different time frame than just the way that it's laid out here. So theologians tell us that Job is quite possibly one of the oldest books of the Bible. Somewhere between Genesis, Genesis and Exodus, the events of Job's life happened. And when you open up the very first page of this man's biography, if you will, we see that Job was a man of great faith. The Bible says there was a man from the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz. His name was Job. The Bible said he loved God. He shunned evil. 
He was upright, and he feared the Lord. He was a man of great faith, such great faith this man had. If you study his life, there was nobody like this man in all of the East. Nobody could compare to the character of Job. Such a man of great faith that he was when his sons and daughters would gather together in the eldest son's home. They would have times of feasting and celebration. Job would rise up the next morning, the Bible said, and offer burnt offerings for his sons and daughters because he said it, it may be that they have sinned in their heart against God. And the Bible said Job did this on a regular basis for his children. He's a man of great faith. Job was a man of great fortune. If you read how much he had, listen, he was the wealthiest man in the East. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And besides all this, the Bible says he had a very large household. When it came to material wealth and possessions, Job had it all. He had a great faith. He had a great fortune. He had a great family. Seven sons, three daughters, a wonderful wife that had given to him ten children. And seemingly Job had an incredible future in front of him until one day God allowed some pain to enter Job's life. Until one day, God allowed some trouble to come into Job's life. Now, I want you to understand, God did not inflict that trouble and that pain upon Job. But sometimes life just happens and trouble comes and pain comes and it's a part of life. And I'm telling you, in a matter of mere moments, his faith was shaken to its core. Boy, I feel God here today. In a matter of moments, his fortune, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, every single one of them were stolen. The servants that Job had at his disposal to attend to all of that livestock, many of them were killed by this foreign band of raiders that came in and killed him with the edge of the sword. Some of them were consumed by fire, and that's how they met their fate and met their death. And in one moment of time, these servants that escaped this tragedy come in to say, Job, the sheep are gone, the camels are gone, the the oxen are gone. The donkeys are gone. The servants have been killed with the edge of the sword. Fire has fallen and consumed them. And right on the heels of all of that devastating news, there's one more messenger that comes in. And he says, Job, I know you've had so much bad news already. But I've got something else to tell you, Job. You, you better sit down for this one. Your sons and your daughters... We're in the eldest boy's house, and they were feasting. And Job, a great windstorm arose. And it struck the four corners of the house, and it's collapsed, and it's killed every single one of them, Job. I hate to tell you, but they're all gone, Job. In the moment of time, 
his great faith, there is no doubt in my mind, has been rocked and shaken. His fortune, gone. His family, with the exception of his wife, all ten children, gone. His future seemingly looks like it's gone. And to add insult to injury, Job has what the Bible calls friends. The Bible calls them comforters. And when they get wind of everything that's happened, and the Bible says when they lift up their eyes and they look afar off and they see Job, they can't even recognize him because of the tragedy that he's been through. And in defense of these three friends, I'm getting ready to, to poke some holes in them here in a minute. They did join him in his sorrow. They did shave their heads and tear their garments for him. But when they got there to where he was, the Bible said for seven days and seven nights, they sat there and they stared at him. Listen, with friends like that, I don't know if he needed any enemies. I mean, can you imagine in the midst of that kind of sorrow that three of your closest friends show up, sit down in your living room, and for seven days and seven nights they stare at you and don't utter a word? That would probably last about seven minutes in my house, maybe seven seconds, before I said, what are you looking at? And when they opened their mouth to finally speak, as well-intentioned as it was, it was very misguided insight that they gave him. Job, you must be going through this because you've sinned. Job, you must be experiencing this trouble because you have done something to make God angry and make God mad. Can I just tell you today that if you happen to find yourself in trouble and trials and difficulty and you name the name of Christ and you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, Listen, God is not punishing you for something that you've done in the past. And now, all of this, just a matter of time, has unfolded in his life. And Job sits there. He sits there with three friends that stare at him. He sits there to hear his wife, who has given him those ten children from her womb, say to him, Job, see what servant God has got us? Why don't you just curse God and die? And it seems like Job is now all alone, and nobody cares. And when we find ourselves in those kinds of trouble, and I don't know if any of us can say that we've been through everything Job has been through, but you've been through your own and you've lived in and through times of trouble nonetheless. We, we ask the following questions. And we ask these questions, but deep down we really know the answer, but but we have to ask them, God, are you there? We know he is. God, are you real? We know that he is. But we're prone to ask those types of questions when 
Life doesn't make sense. And when trouble comes. You know, there are seasons in life when circumstances will contradict what we know. For an example, God told Eve, the first woman in Scripture, that she would be the mother of all living. Is that what God said? That's what he said. And when she gave birth to Cain and then his brother Abel, she probably thought, this is it. Everything God said, I am going to be the mother of all living. Look at these two boys, but you know the story. They both bring an offering to God. Cain brought a second-rate, half-hearted offering. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and brought a sacrificial offering. And the Bible said that God accepted Abel's offering. He rejected Cain's offering. And Cain, in a jealous rage, rises up and he murders his own flesh and blood. And Eve, she's supposed to be the mother of all living, but all she has now is a dead corpse and a vagabond on the run. And circumstances now contradict what she knows in her heart, that indeed God would not tell me something and then take it back. Abraham and Sarah, they were supposed to have a boy, a child of promise, weren't they? And now, Abraham is pushing 100 years old. Sarah's on the brink of 90. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations, God said. And what do they have? Nothing. Circumstances contradicting what they knew God had said. Jesus had promised his disciples he was going to establish and build a kingdom. That he was going away to prepare a place for them. He was going to build this wonderful heavenly kingdom for them. He would come back and get them and take them to live there with him forever. And the only thing they have now is a borrowed tomb containing the bleed, beaten, bloodied body of Jesus Christ. How can he go and build a kingdom if he lays dead in the tomb? Circumstances that contradict what we know. Jesus showed up one day to a lady named Martha and her sister Mary. And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes on me, though he may die, he shall live. He says that. And Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus, the good friend of Jesus, is laying four days dead in a grave. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Circumstances contradict what we know. Does that make sense to you this morning? When God has promised you that he's going to save your children and the word declares that our household will be saved and the only thing you have is a son or a daughter that gets more wayward by the day, circumstances contradict what we know. God has promised he's going to supply all of your need. God has promised he's going to take care of you and you're faithful to tithe and you're faithful to give and you're faithful to do what the Word says. And, and the only thing you have is a table with bill after bill that is mounting. And God, I thought your Word said that if I give, you'll give it back to me. It's circumstances that contradict what we know. God's promised an open door. 
God's promised an opportunity. God's promised a place for you to fulfill the desires of your heart. And the only thing that you get is one door after another closing in your face. And you say, God, is it ever going to happen? Because you've said to me, you open doors that no man can shut. And you shut doors that no man can open. It's when circumstances contradict what we know that we step back and we say, God, where are you? God, why is this happening? God, are you real? God, are you there? It's when life doesn't make sense we find ourselves in times of trouble so what do we do who do we lean on who do we listen to who do we look to I mean obviously we have the word but when I find myself in some places that are troublesome I I want some good advice brother Turpin I need to see a face. I need to hear a voice. I I need a a human touch. I need some counsel that I just can't get. When I find myself in times of trouble, I I need somebody. Listen, I don't need somebody that's never been there, Brother Kenny. I need somebody that's been there, done that, and has the T-shirt to prove it. I, I don't want just anybody giving me advice when I find myself in times of trouble. I need to hear somebody tell me something. This is what you need to do. Be careful who you listen to when you find yourself in times of trouble. But don't be so prideful that you don't reach out for someone to help you because the Bible tells us there's safety in a multitude of counselors. And if there's anybody in Scripture that can give us some good advice about trouble, I believe it's Job. I believe Job has something to say to us. Because if you read the end of Job's story, and that's not where I'm going today, but I'm going to give you the end of his story. If you read the very end, Job chapter 42, God blessed Job with double of everything he had lost. That's amazing, isn't it? And somehow, in some way, he salvaged his marriage because it was a little tough there for a minute or two, I believe, when Mrs. Job said, you fool, look what serving God has gotten us. Why don't you curse God and die? I'm not sure how they worked it out. They must have found some kind of counselor or somebody that salvaged it. Maybe Job was too broken and too messed up and too stressed and too sorrowful to even open his mouth and say anything back to her. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but if I think about it when I get there, I might want to go down to his mansion and say, Job, please tell me, when your wife said, curse God and die, what went through your mind? Here's what he said to her. You speak as a foolish one. Oh, boy. Can we receive good from God and not bad? But I wonder... Wonder how deep that comes. I want to talk to Mrs. I want to talk to Job and Mrs. Job when I get there. Tell me, tell me what else went down that day after you said that. And you look, God blessed him with double his possessions, blessed him with more sons and more daughters. Because Job was faithful in times of trouble. So what, what can Job say to? What can Job, what does Job say to us? What does Job tell us? I want to tell you real quickly. There's four very short passages where Job speaks. Here's the first one. When Job gets wind that his kids have all been killed, the Bible says that he arose. 
He tore his robe. When you would tear your garment during that time, it was a sign of great mourning and sorrow. He shaved his head. I'm looking through here this morning. We had some folks. You've been through some stuff, haven't you? I couldn't resist. We got some sorrowful people, some sorrowful men in the building today. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. Watch this. He fell down and he worshiped. And he said this, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible said in all of this, Job never sinned, and he never charged God foolishly. So here's what Job's advice to us is that in the midst of trouble, and when you find yourself in times of trouble, you must decide that you, or you must be determined rather, that you are going to worship regardless of what happens. You're not going to blame God. You're not going to quit on God. You're not going to throw the towel in and say, God, I can't do it. But you've got to make up your mind when you stand in the middle of hell and you feel the flames licking your feet that you'll throw your hands up you'll throw your head back and say God I don't understand but I choose to bless you in the midst of my pain Job understood I've got to worship regardless of what happens oh hallelujah he determined he was going to worship Regardless, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. times, you got to bless God. Job's wife wanted him to curse God and die. Job said, I can't do it. I can't receive good from God and not receive the bad that he allows in my life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I want to tell somebody today that if you find yourself in times of trouble, Job says you must be determined to worship regardless. Here's another passage of Scripture. In Job chapter 13 and verse 15, as his friends continued to give this well-intentioned but very misguided insight to his life, Job says a second thing. He says, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. I tell you, Job's got something to say to us. I mean, if he can stand at ten freshly dug graves and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If he can look at everything he had and have to say, I'm going to go file bankruptcy, but though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If he can walk over to the other graves of his servants who had served him faithfully and stand at their graves and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If he can walk away from his wife as she challenges him to quit on God as he walks away, say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
As his faith is shaken to its very core, his world has been rocked of all the things he could say. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Here's what Job says to us. Here's the advice he gives us. He says you have to decide that you're going to walk this thing out. Though he slay me, I'm going to keep trusting. Though I've lost all ten of my kids, I'm going to keep trusting. Though I'm as broke as I've ever been, I was the wealthiest man in all of the East at one time, and now I have nothing to show for it. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to keep walking this thing out one step at a time because I have to trust the fact that the steps of a good man and of a good woman, they are ordered of the Lord. And if I will delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me the desires of my heart. If I'll lean not to my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him, he will indeed direct my path. If I choose to be led and governed and guided by the power of the Holy Spirit, when I find myself in the midst of hell, when I find myself in times of trouble, I can say those he slay me though it feels like I'm about to die I'm about to break and buckle under the weight of what I'm going through I'm going to walk this thing out and I'm going to trust the Lord in spite of what's going on in my life though he slay me yet will I trust him oh hallelujah what else does he say number three Job chapter 23, verses 8, 9, and 10. Listen to what he says. He says, look, I go forward, and he's not there. He's looking for him now. I mean, who doesn't look for God in times of trouble? But I think we have a, we've got this weakness in our lives that sometimes we only look to God in times of trouble. We don't look to God like we should all of the time. But sometimes we just look to him when things get rough. I, I know folks like that, that God's convenient for them. And as soon as he gets them out of the mess they're in, the trouble that they find themselves in, and the tight place that they're in, they'll put him back on the shelf until they need him again. That, that's not a relationship with Christ. He's not a God of convenience. And Job's looking for him. Look, I go forward, he's not there. He said, I go backward and I... I can't perceive him. Watch this. When he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. I wish I had time to tell you today, and I wish I could break this down for you, because in Scripture, you know the hand of power and the hand of authority in Scripture was the right hand of God, which says to me there are times that God will work in places we don't really expect him to work or don't even think he'll work. He'll show up in the most unlikely of places sometimes, Kenny Hancock, the left side of God. God does work on the left side, you know. He said when he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. And when he turns to the right hand, I can't see him. Job's looking for him. In his time of trouble, Job's, Job's looking for him. I've gone forward and he's not there, and I've gone backward and he's not there. I've gone over here to the left and I can't find him. I've gone over here to the right and I can't find him. God, where are you? Anybody ever felt like that before? You've looked high, you've looked low, and you just can't seem to find him. You're crying out, you're calling out, you don't feel anything. God certainly 
Certainly you're not hiding. God's not hiding himself from you. The Bible says that you'll find him when you search for him with all of your heart. God said, I want you to just to pursue me. And there's times, listen, I believe there's times that we'll look. Sometimes we look in all the wrong places. And God's saying, I'm right here. Just come on, I'm right here. I'm right here. God, I've been forward, I've been backward, I've been to the left, I've been to the right. Now watch what Job says next. But he knows. Wait a minute. Job really was saying, I, I, don't, I don't know where he is. I don't know. I've been forward. I don't know. I've been backward. I don't know. I've been to the right. I don't know. I've been to the left. I don't know. And then the next thing he says is, but, but he knows. <laughs> God help me. But he knows the way. My God, I'm about to preach right here. He knows the way that I take. You may not be able to find him. You may be lost and lonely and looking and confused. But while your eye may not be able to find him, I've got good news for somebody. He knows exactly where you are. He knows when you rise up. He knows when you lie down. He knows every step you take. He knows every move you make. I want you to know his eye is on the sparrow, and he's watching over somebody today, and you've got to know that in the midst of your trouble, you're not by yourself. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro across the face of this earth that he might show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is made right toward him. God's got his eye on you. Ah, somebody praise him if you're glad about that today. Now watch. I even got to my point yet. But he knows the way that I take. And when I've been Tried as fire. Oh, boy. I wish I could tell you about the process that gold goes through and the heat that it has to endure and the pulverizing and the processing that it goes through to become that, that gold that the Bible talks about. But he knows the way that I take. And when I have been tried, he didn't say if I'm tried, did he? He didn't say I might be tried when I've been tried as fire. Ready? I shall come forth. As pure gold. You know what Job says to us here? Here's what Job says to us on this one. Job declared that in the end, he would win. Notice the wording that he uses. When I've been tried as fire, I will come forth. I'm not going to die in this thing. I'm coming out. Listen, Job said, it's, it's hard right now. I've lost my family. I've lost my fortune. My faith has been shaken. I've got three friends that aren't doing a whole lot to help me. But here's what I know. The final chapter of my life has not yet been written. The final days of my life are not before me. But Job is saying is that I've got something else ahead of me that I've not yet experienced. I've got more life to live. I've got more kids to raise. I've got more fortune to obtain. I've got more lives I can impact. Job was saying, though I walk through the fire and I've tried, I am going to come out on the other side 
tonight, I want to tell somebody today, you might find yourself in the middle of hell. You might find yourself in the midst of some of the worst trouble of your life, but I want you to know it's not over yet. It's not the end. The same God that allowed you to walk in is the same God that will allow you to walk out. He knows the way that I take, and when I've been tried as fire, I will come forth as pure gold. I will win in the end, Job says. Hallelujah. Boy, I'm preaching good this morning. Thank you. Hallelujah. He knows the way that I take. When I come forth, I'm coming forth as gold. I walked in like this, but I'm telling you, I'm walking out, Job said. I'm going to tell somebody today, I don't know where you're at or what you're in. I don't know what kind of trouble you're facing. I don't know what it looks like to you, but I know what it looks like to God. It's not over yet. You're in it, but you're going to come through it. I wish somebody would hear that today. I don't know who I'm talking to. You are in it now, but I promise you the same God that allowed you to walk in it is the same God that's going to bring you through it. It's not over yet. Job declared that in the end, he would win. I love what God said in Isaiah 43, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers... They won't overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and neither will the flame kindle upon you, according to Isaiah 43 and 2. Through. Somebody say through. And the words of the old preacher cliche we use, the same God that brought you to it, it's the same God that's going to bring you through it. Job declared that in the end, he would win. God's going to bring you out. It's not over. I know some of you feel like you're going to die right where you are. I know you feel like, Pastor, in the midst of all this trouble I'm in, I feel like I'm going to absolutely die, and I'll never see the sunrise of another day. I'll never get out of what I'm in. I'm telling you, God is going to bring you through it. What you're in is not where you're going to stay. God will bring you out. Somebody give God praise if you're glad about that. (laughs) Pastor Tony, come on. What's the last thing Job said to us? What's the last bit of advice that Job gives to us? Take you one more place. I want you to hear his words. In Job 19, I'm going to close with this one, 25 and 26. Job says, for I know. Don't you love the confidence that this man shows to us? I know. I know. He knows the way that I take. This I know, he said. See, sometimes circumstances contradict what we know. Job was living there. But there were some things that he knew that couldn't be shaken. Job 19, 25, and 26, he said, For I know that my Redeemer lives. How do you say that? Everything you have is gone. I mean, can you imagine to go home today 
than to find every material possession you have gone. Could you imagine to go to the bank tomorrow and somebody says every dime you had and every account is gone? Can you imagine? Whew, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? But could you imagine? To have to drive to a cemetery in the next few days and stand at the grave of every one of your children. If indeed you have kids or whoever your family is and have to stand there and hear a preacher say a few words and then walk away and leave. Can you imagine? That's what Job did. Good, faithful man. Feared God, shunned evil, upright in all that he did. Pastor, why is it that good godly people have to go through trouble? It seems like the wicked prosper. And the unrighteous just seem to do well for themselves. Because here's what I know. Everything down here is temporary. Everything's temporary. And what I go through down here, that's just treasure that's being laid up up there for me. Who I'm about to shout right here. And while it may be down here that, listen, David said, many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. That don't even seem right, does it? Why do the righteous have to be afflicted? Why do the righteous have to go through? Why, 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 are, why do good people have to go so early, people full of life and dreams and passion? Why? why? You've got wicked people that kill and murder. Because, see, they're, just, they're, just, they're working for something down here. They're working to obtain something down here. I'm not, I'm not concerned about down here. I, I want to do good down here. I want my life to count for something down here. But I'm laying up for myself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't break in and steal. I, I'm worried about what's happening over, over on the other side when I get there. And he said, for I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. Standing at ten freshly dug graves, I know my Redeemer lives. I didn't tell you this. One day he loses his family and his fortune. His future seemed in doubt. His faith was shaken. His friends were not friends at all. I didn't tell you how his health failed him. The Bible says he got these painful boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet that covered his whole body. Painful boils. Could be like modern day shingles, possibly. And he takes this hard piece of clay and begins to scrape the boils off his body. I mean, some of us, we stub our pinky toe. We think we're going to see Jesus because it hurts so bad. And don't none of you men laugh because we're, listen, every, most every man I know, you're, we are terribly wimpy when it comes to pain. And I get a bunch of women going, amen, preach, preacher. <clears throat> I don't do sickness well, by the way. I'm, I just don't. And don't ask her. She's not going to give you any details. 
If I get the stomach bug, I think I'm getting ready to go see the Lord. I can't hardly take it. I'm just ready. Lord, take me now. Somebody put me out of my misery, please. Can you imagine? And he takes the hard, hard piece of clay and just begins to scrape them off his body. But I know my Redeemer lives. Well, he's got something to say to us, doesn't he? Here's what he says. For I know that my Redeemer lives. Oh, I need to hurry. And he shall stand at last on the earth. Watch what he says next. And when my skin has been destroyed. Well, no wonder he'd say that. I mean, that was, that was, a, that was a, a literal and a figurative part of speech there. And when my skin has been destroyed. Whew. He said, this one thing I know, I will in my flesh see the Lord. I know, for I know that my Redeemer lives. He shall stand at last on the earth. And when my skin has been destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I will see the Lord. Here's what Job teaches us and says to us in the midst of trouble. He demonstrated a faith in the world to come. He demonstrated a faith in the world to come. You know what he was saying? This old flesh is going to rot away. But there's a day coming that my Redeemer is going to stand at last on the earth. And when he does, I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. That in my flesh, I'm going to see him. I'm telling you that there's a day coming. I've talked about it the last few weeks. That as horrible and as bad as it is down here in this sin-filled world, there's a day coming that when Jesus returns, and he's going to stand on this earth. And we, listen, the Bible says every eye is going to see him. Every eye. I like what John said. I've quoted the last few weeks, 1 John 3 and 2. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be like. But we know that when he's revealed, we will see him as he is. <laughs> we shall be like him. So in the midst of all your trouble you find yourself in today, all the hell you're walking through, all the pain and the persecution, turmoil and the trial and the tragedies. At some point, Jesus doesn't return. Your physical body is going to succumb to this old world. And at some point, the Lord tarries is coming. This old body is going to eventually just fade away and be destroyed. You do know at this very moment while you sit here and I talk to you, your flesh is wasting away. That's what's happening. Nothing you can do about it. There's two appointments that you cannot get out of, two appointments that are certain. The first one is April 15th, taxes. You can't get out of it. It's coming every single year. Here's the second one. If the Lord doesn't come, you have an appointment with death. 
point in demand wants to die, and after this judgment, you're going to die eventually. And I've used this analogy so many times, and I'm closing. They will roll a coffin, a casket, right here to the front of a church somewhere. Some preacher like me will get in a suit and tie and stand up here and hopefully say a bunch of nice things about you. And then when we're done, they'll roll it out, they'll put it in a hearse, they'll drive it to a cemetery somewhere, and they'll bury it six feet under the ground, they'll put fresh flowers on top of it. And if you're a good church person, you'll get in your car and drive back to a fellowship hall. And chicken and potato salad will be served in your honor, and we'll all eat. Right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But here's what I know. That if I die down here, the next face I see is the face of my Lord. You know why? Because I know my Redeemer lives. And he's going to stand on the earth one day. Now, if we live, and we don't taste death, and Jesus comes back first, and we're ready to go when he steps out, oh boy, we're going to look up and see him. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I'll see him. Here's what I want you to know today. No matter what you're going through, it's temporary. Do you hear you, Pastor? It's temporary. The temporary trouble that we're having down here cannot compare to the future world that God has prepared for us. Paul said, our light afflictions, but for a moment. It's all temporary. Your trouble, it's temporary. The pain, it's temporary. I know it's hard. The hell, it's temporary. You hear me? It's temporary. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to demonstrate your faith in the world. Because there's another world that's coming. This is not it. There's a heavenly world that's coming. There's a heavenly world the Lord's prepared for us. And you've got to keep in mind that though the troubles are hard right now, there's a world coming that's going to far exceed this old world we're living in. It'll be a world where Jesus reigns as king. We won't have to worry about a White House. We won't have to worry about a president. We won't have to worry about an FBI director. We won't have to worry about the Russians or an election fraud or any of that other stupid stuff. Hallelujah. I can't wait for that day. There won't be a Democratic deal. won't be a Republican deal. It'll be a Jesus deal when he comes back and he rules and he reigns on this earth. In the midst of trouble today, I tell you, demonstrate your faith in the world to come. Jesus is coming again. Heaven is a reality. All of this down here won't matter. It's temporary. Come on, stand with me all over this building, please.